My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. I want to welcome you to church. If you're new with us, man, we are so honored that you are here. We're glad you're here and we're believing the Lord to do something powerful in your life today. We've been praying for you. And if you're a part of this church, if this is your home, it's just a joy to be with you, singing the, presence of, singing the praises of God in the presence of God with the people of God. Now, as a community, we've been looking at the topic of work over the last number of weeks. Today is actually part five in that series where we're looking at our jobs. And we've seen that we work a lot. In fact, you're probably going to spend 90,000 hours of your life at work. It's a significant amount of time. And we've seen that for most of us, I think 90% of Americans feel very little passion or purpose or meaning in the work of our hands. So we're spending a huge portion of our lives on something that feels very uh, unimportant to us. Doesn't feel alive, doesn't feel like there's purpose behind it. And so what we're hoping to do is to, to help us all as we look to Jesus, we see that he inspires, he informs, he shapes the work of our hands and he injects purpose and passion and joy in the jobs that we do. That he is not just for Sunday mornings when we're all together as a church, but that God wants to move in your life through the work of your hands. Each week we've been hearing a testimony from different members of our church talking about what it's been like for them and how their faith has impacted the work that they do. So today we get the joy of hearing from Nisha. Nisha, if you want to come forward, give her a hand. Nisha, first, thank you so much for sharing with us. Can you tell everyone, kind of tell us what you do? Uh, okay. Breathing. Um, I work for a um, uh, healthcare industry um, called Abbott. And um, what we do is, like, we create um, devices and medications and um, medical devices and basically my um, how we impact the community is by um, helping people lead a healthier lives and um, through the um, investigational devices that we bring out and for the through the medications that we release um, and my role um, here at my work is to uh, monitor and to ensure that um, all the healthcare facilities that are involved in these clinical studies are uh, following the local and the international regulatory requirements and uh, um, they are in compliance with um, whatever um, uh, devices they are working with and making sure that they are working in the best interest of the patient. So I'm just monitoring, my role is to monitor that. And we're very thankful for that. It's helping <laughs> keep us all healthy. Uh, in addition to your job, uh, your kind of day job, you're also a, a wife and a mom. And so I'd love to hear for you in any of those arenas that you want to speak to how your faith has impacted the work that you're doing. Yeah. So um, faith is uh, a very important part, like uh, plays a huge role in my relationship um, be it my family or um, be it um, outside um, in the work in the community. So um, how I can, I, the only way I can say is like, you know, through uh, a small example is like, you know, at home, um, how I carry ourselves or as a family, how we carry ourselves, like, you know, uh, prioritizing and keeping God as um, the, the, the priority or like valuing his standards and, um, uh, like as Paul says, like, you know, whatever you do, you're doing it to honor God, not mm -hmm. for the people or not for the eyes of the people. So in like, simple things like, you know, in my family situation, be it with the kids, like, you know, to whatever they are doing, the first thing that you need to do is like to invite God in, mm -hmm. in be it in your schoolwork or be it in your activity when you're going out to remember that you are the light, that you are called to be the light where you are going. And uh, whenever we have like in our conflicts, like be it our marriage or relationship, like, you know, in our personal as a wife um, or as a couple, um, and when we get short, like, you know, that's how we are showing our as an example that our faith matters. Like even though we want to prove ourselves like in areas that um, 
that, okay, I want to speak my mind and I'm going to say, show you that I am saying the truth, uh, but uh, whatever, how faith works for us as a family or for myself is like, we try to bring everything in alignment with God's standards, mm. whether it matches with what God would value. Mm. So, um, yeah, that is how I be do it. That's awesome. That's inspiring. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we look at our church, we've got people working in all sorts of different fields. So what advice would you give to us just in the journey of faith and work? Yeah. Um, I, personally, for me, um, the, the, the one thing that I have uh, instilled in me is like, you know, seeking God's kingdom first. Um, and his righteousness in everything that you're doing, putting God and just inviting God in the decisions, not only like in the personal and family uh, uh, decisions that you're making for your life, but also in work, inviting God in every areas of your life and then just be the light and uh, be a peacemaker wherever God has placed you to be. Amen. Well, that's inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing. Give her a hand. It's been such a joy to hear from these men and women of God who by no means are perfect but have uh, authority on their lives in the area of living out their faith in their workplace. And as we share those, again, those aren't meant to be a template for you that you feel like you need to copy, but it's meant to be an inspiration. So I hope from one of the stories that's been shared uh, that there's something in there that gives you some encouragement and some inspiration about your work this week. Uh, we are going to speak today on how do you find how do you find uh, your, the work that you were made for? How do you find and fulfill the work that you were just designed to do? I like to call it anointed fit. That place where God's power and God's call on your life align with who you are and the way you're wired. And when you're doing that thing, you just feel like, man, I am in my sweet spot. How in the world do we find that kind of of work. So I want to encourage you to take out your Bibles, take out your highlighters, your pens, your notebooks, uh, whatever it is, we're going to go to God's word. And before we do that, I want to ask you to join with me in prayer. Jesus, uh, we just come to you as your people. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you that you want to teach us like a father teaches children, that you want to give us wisdom today and you want to shape us, Lord. And so we just open our minds and we open our hearts, Lord, and we open our ears to hear from you. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you have your way? And would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 We are in Luke chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 11. This famous parable of Jesus uh, that has so much going on. We started talking about it last week. We're going to read it again and focus in on a couple of different aspects today. As they heard these things, they being Jesus' disciples... He proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. This is Luke 19, 11, if you're reading along. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said to them, uh, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country, right? He's telling them a story, to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. Minas was a unit of money in Jesus' day. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. It was estimated that one mina was about four months wages. So he's giving them a resource. He's saying, go engage in business until I, you know, return from taking this kingdom. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So this kingdom that he's going into, they are not happy about it. Verse 15, he returns having received the kingdom and now he's speaking to his servants again. And he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to himself, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And the master said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And the master said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You, you take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. 
And the master responds to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not take my money and put it in the bank? And in my coming, it might have collected it with interest. And he said to him, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, that guy already has 10 minas. And the master said, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, now speaking about the citizens in the kingdom, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So super intense uh, parable with lots of direction, lots of things going in a different direction. I want to just for the sake of our conversation today, hone in on one individual in this parable. And it is the individual who received one talent and worked and through his investment earned 10 talents when the master came back. There was a tenfold return on the investment that the master had given him. And when we start talking about our anointed fit, when we start talking about the work that we're made for, I believe that we all, regardless of the background that you're coming from today, that we all want that kind of life. That when you get to the end of your life, that you would like to look back and say, man, I took what I was given and I invested it well. And I have a tenfold return on my life. That sounds like a full life to me. That sounds like a good life to me. That sounds like the type of work that you and I are made for and long for and want to do. It sounded like he found and fulfilled his anointed fit. So my question for you is what enabled him to do that? What were the factors, what were the characteristics that enabled him to, to find the work he was made for, to find his anointed fit, and to fulfill it? Because again, I believe we all are in that search and are looking for answers. So I want to share with you five uh, words from this parable, five characteristics that I think allowed this gentleman to fulfill uh, his, his, his anointed fit. They all start with C, and we covered the first one last week, which was calling. And if you'll look with me in the text at the scripture, you'll see in verse 13 that the master calls 10 of his servants and he gives them 10 minus. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. That was the starting point for this gentleman. The starting point was his master called him to himself gave him purpose, gave him resources, and said, now go and do. I, I define that as our calling. He knew his calling. He knew what he was assigned to do. And I like to think of calling in three different dimensions. We have in our generation, we've boiled calling down just into the job that we do. But if you were here last week, you, you learned or you were reminded that, that your mission is much bigger than the nine to five job that you have right now. You have a much bigger, a much grander mission. And it's actually the same mission for all of us. You don't have to go wander in a field and look for a shooting star that might show you what you're supposed to do. When we look in the face of Jesus, we find that he calls us to himself. And that in his presence, he tells us, this is your purpose. This is your mission. It's to love God with all of your heart. And it's to love people the way that God loves people. Loving God and loving people. That is your mission. That's our purpose. That's what you're designed to do. If you're wondering, man, what am I made to do? What is the work that I'm made for? The thing where I would just come alive. I'm telling you, it's found in the words and the face of Jesus to love God with all that you are and to love people like he loves them. And if you will align your life, if you'll spend your life on this calling, you will find life. You'll find and you'll fulfill your anointed fit. But he doesn't just need the mission. He needs that desperately, right? He, he got the mission, go and do this. But he also was given resource from his master. Don't miss this. He was given resource. They said that the, the word mina, unit of measure of money, it was four months wages. 
Matthew tells the same story, uh, more or less. He tells it a little bit differently. And if you've been around great teachers, you know, different environments, they emphasize different things. In Matthew's version, he's not giving out uh, minus, he's giving out talents. And a talent was an incredible amount of money. So to the gentleman who received five talents, that was 100 years wages. Wow, that is a big deposit in your life. Right? And the master is giving his servant a gifting to be able to fulfill his mission. And in the same way, Jesus has not just called you to love God and love people, but he has placed gifting in your life. You may not have been in a gifted and talented program at school, but you are gifted. God has placed gifting in your life. You are valuable. You have something to contribute. Your life matters. He's put gifting in your life. And when we're talking about calling, we need to understand our mission. We need to understand our gifting. And we need to understand our assignment. And this is so important. I want to show you a little illustration that that I think will help connect the dots. So, Joe, if you could bring those art supplies up. And if you would just uh, close your eyes for a moment and imagine me with a Bob Ross uh, hair. We're going to do a little painting here together. So when we start talking about this and we're thinking about it, I I found this illustration has helped me and I want to share it with you. What I have in my hand right here are some paints. These are primary colors, red, blue, yellow. From these colors, you can make all sorts of colors, all sorts of tones, all sorts of hues from these simple colors. I want you to think about this as your mission. We're all given the same basic set of paint. We're all given the mission to love God and to love people. This is your paint. Now, there's a second component related to your gifting, and I like to think of that as paint brushes. I have some different kinds of paint brushes here. These are some foam brushes. They're like sponges. And these are some different size, kind of when you think of a paintbrush, like a normal brush. Different sizes, different shapes, right? Just like we've all been given different giftings. So if I'm wanting to paint, if I'm wanting to know how to paint, that I've been given these colors to make something beautiful, Right? I need to understand the brushes that I have to work with to be able to do the thing that I am called to do. Just like we need to be able to understand our giftings in order to be able to take the paints, the purpose, the mission that we have and flesh it out in our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, third component then is the canvas. I'm gonna put my brushes down for just a second. My color's down, right? Now, we all have uh, different assignments in life. And our assignments can change. And so often we get it twisted and we say, well, I'm called to be a teacher. I'm called to be a nurse. I'm called to be this. No, no, no. You're called to love God. You're called to love people. You might have an assignment for a season to be a teacher. You might have an assignment for a season to be a nurse. You might have an assignment for a season to be single or to be married. Or, or maybe you are married and you, you kind of, you start with one kid and then you find yourself with, with two children and then three and then somehow you end up with four and you don't know, even really know how that happened, right? And you've got all these kids and you have these different canvases, these different assignments. And when we're talking about calling, we need to understand your mission. It's the same for all of us. Our giftings are different. And my hope for our church is that this would be a place where we call out the gold in one another, where we encourage one another in our giftings, and that this would be a place of exploring those giftings. We're in a year-long spiritual growth campaign around discovering and using our giftings because it's so important, not just for the church, but for us as the church to live out our calling here in our city, in our nation, in the nations of the earth. We also need to understand our assignment. That's going to be different for so many of us. And that's where we really need to go to the Lord and hear from him, just like this servant heard from his master. I want to point out to you what I said last week is that this is not Shark Tank. This is not 
they're going to, uh, with a business idea, and they're going to an investor, and they're saying, hey, I've got this idea for a popsicle stand, and, you know, would you put $20,000 into it or something like that? That's not what's going on here. I think that kind of investing is cool, but when we start talking about our, our anointed fit, it's not that we're going to God and saying, God, you know what, I really have this business idea, or I really think I'd be a great teacher, I've always wanted to be a nurse, or whatever it may be. God, I've always wanted to be married. We're not going to the Lord and telling him our plan and hoping he invests in it, right? We want to go to him. It only makes sense that you're going to find your calling from your creator. We want to go to him, and we want to hear from him, and he has a good calling for you. He has a good mission for you. He has good giftings for you. He has a good assignment for you because you matter to God. And so he's given you work that matters. Uh, I was reading and preparing for this message. I was reading of a professor at Stanford University, so one of the most prestigious universities in the nation. And this was a man who had given his life to investing in students and helping them on their way, helping them in their calling. And he was almost lamenting over the lackadaisical nature that he was seeing student after student choose their career path. He said, uh, regretfully, he says, sometimes I feel like my students will spend more time deciding what pair of shoes to buy than they do on thinking about the job that they're going to go out and do. He said, I'd ask students, well, how did you choose this field or how did you choose a job? Well, my uncle worked at the company or or I don't know. It just kind of, they just accepted me. I just applied. And and he just said it was so lackadaisical that we weren't putting thought into it. Across the nation on the other side, Wake Forest, the president of a university, said much of the same thing. He said, from where I sit, watching generation of generation of students, what we're seeing are students coming in and gravitating toward the highest paying jobs. The majors that would provide the highest paying job. And he said, because I'm seeing this, we're just seeing this trend over and over and over again. And then we're watching our students go out our door and begin their career. And so many of them are so dissatisfied at their work because they've chosen their career path based on compensation. Or they've chosen their career path based on comfort. They've chosen their career path based on where they had a connection. But, but this is teaching us, and Jesus teaches us, we need to put more thought into it than that. We can get so busy we're living in our lives that we don't take a step back to look at our lives and work on our lives. And I'm hoping this teaching series about work is just helping you to say, man, have, have I actually thought about the calling that God has put on my life? Have I thought about my giftings? Have I, have I asked him about my assignment? Or, or am I just kind of doing my deal and hoping that he'll bless it? God wants to bless you, so he wants to speak to you so that you can know where to go and what to do. That's our calling. Okay, but that's not the only thing going on here. That's very important, but there's more to the story that I want to show you. In Matthew's version of this gospel, in Luke's, everyone receives one talent or one mina. In Matthew's version, the servants receive differing amounts. I think Luke's version speaks to God has something for everyone. I think Matthew's version highlights the fact that we're given differing things, differing amounts. Let's read Matthew 25, verse 15. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Now note this phrase, highlight this, star this. To each according to his ability, or to each according to his capacity. The master is looking at his servants, and he's got this plan for them. He's got this purpose. He's got this resource that he wants to invest. But he also understands their capacity. And he understands that this servant, I could give him 100 years worth of wages, and that he would go, and that he could handle that. This servant, I don't know that he could handle that. I know he could handle two uh, talents. And this servant, one. The master is looking at his servants and giving differing amounts based on capacity. And this is so important when we're trying to find our anointed fit is for you and I to understand 
what is our capacity? What is our capacity? Because if the five-talent gentleman thinks that his capacity is really one talent, he's not going to find his anointed fit. He's not going to fulfill his purpose. He's not going to fulfill what he's called to do, right? He's going to be playing down here when really he needs to be up here. And if the two-talent person is looking up at the five-talent person and thinking, man, I should should be a five-talent person, right? He's just going to be striving and straining and stressing, trying to be something that he's not. So we need to understand our capacity. For this gentleman to find and fulfill his anointed fit, he had to know his capacity. There's an incredible story in the Old Testament that highlights this that I want to share with you. One of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament was Moses. Moses was known for leading God's people out of Egypt, delivering them from under Pharaoh and leading them into their destiny. Incredible uh, calling on his life. Incredible gifting. Incredible training. I mean, he's just an incredible man. And yet, he ran into a crisis of capacity. And I want to take you there in Scripture so that you can see this, because I believe that this is important for all of us. So the setting is this. It's Exodus 18. Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've seen God do miracles. It's been amazing. It's also been really, really challenging. And his father-in-law comes along. And praise God for loving father-in-laws. His father-in-law comes along and he sees what's going on and he encourages Moses. He said, man, this is amazing what God is doing. But I also want to talk to you about something. And as he started to talk to Moses, I don't imagine Moses wanted to really hear what his father-in-law was saying. Look in verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing, Moses, is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. So Moses, this incredible leader, right, has been leading the people and kind of doing everything himself. He's been the primary one. Everybody's coming to him. Everybody's eyes are on him. And his father-in-law comes along and he says, hey, Moses, this this isn't a good thing. Now, if you're Moses and you've just led your people out of slavery, you've seen God part a sea, provide food from heaven, you might be like, hey, father-in-law, I'm kind of doing the best I can here. Like, you know, see what's been going on. This is a lot, right? Come me a break. But his father-in-law loved him enough to speak into his life and to speak to him about his capacity because look what he said. If you keep doing this, Moses, if you don't realize that you have a limited capacity, you're a super gifted person, incredible gifting, but you don't have an unlimited capacity. Because if you don't realize that, verse 18, you and these people who come to you will wear yourselves out. So not only would Moses be crushed under the weight of what God had called him to do, but also the people that were looking to him would suffer. They would all be worn out because Moses wasn't aware of his capacity. So father-in-law gives him some advice. Verse 21, he says, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So he said, Moses, you got to realize your capacity is limited. So you need to empower other people, and you need to empower them based on their capacity. Put some over 10, some over 50, some over 100, some over 1,000, right? Take a step back in the capacity that you think you can handle and make space for others to be able to join in. And then in verse 23, this is what he says will happen if Moses will take this and apply it. He said, if you do this and God so commands you will be able to stand the strain. And all these people will go home satisfied. So what he's saying is, Moses, if you'll realize your capacity and you'll respond, you're going to be able not just to find this work that you've started that God's called you to, but you're going to be able to fulfill it for the long haul. If you don't, you're going to be worn out. But if you'll respond here to the test of capacity, 
You'll be able to withstand, and the people will go home satisfied. This is for your good and their good and the glory of God. Moses needed to know his capacity to not just find his anointed fit, but to fulfill it. And if he needed to know that, I imagine you and I do as well. Now, I know when I started to talk about capacity, insecurity uh, just rises to the top. Because we start comparing ourselves. Well, am I a five-talent person? Am I a two-talent person? Am I a one? I'm a one. I always knew I was a one. You just start going down that rabbit hole. And I want to help you not go down that rabbit hole. I want to show you two things about capacity that's so important for the conversation. And listen, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, I want to make sure you get this, what we're about to look at. Matthew 25, verse 20. This is when the master has returned and he's asking the servants, you know, how has it gone? It said, the man who'd received five bags of gold or five talents brought the other five. He said, master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Man, what an affirmation. What words from the master. Just such enthusiasm, encouragement, honoring, and an invitation to come and experience the joy of the master. That's the guy with five talents. Now look, the guy with two, the man with two bags of gold also came. He said, master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And look what the master says. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He gives him the same affirmation. He gives him the same honor. He gives him the same celebration. He gives him the same invitation. Even though the capacities were different, the affirmation and the affection was the same. Church, I want you to know God's love for you, Jesus' love for you is not based on your capacity. Jesus doesn't love people that have five talent high capacity more than he loves people with two talent capacity. So you don't need to be insecure. So I want you to start your week knowing Jesus loves you. He takes delight in you. He takes joy in you. He sees you, and he's not comparing you to the person on the right or the left, and he doesn't want you to do the same. He wants you to understand your capacity, but his affection and affirmation for you is not based on your capacity. That's good news. That's really good news. So exciting. The second thing that I want to show you related to capacity is that it's not uh, static, it's fluid. The gentleman who starts out with two bags of gold, by the end of the story, has four. So his capacity changed. When we read Luke's version, Luke tells us um, that, let's see if I can find it. Luke tells us that the gentleman is going to go from overseeing money to overseeing cities. So again, capacity change. You can grow your capacity. We saw that Moses needed to uh, embrace a lesser capacity in order for God's purposes to be accomplished. So we need to understand and we need to discern what is our capacity in any given season because it could be changing, it could be growing, it could be a time to step back. We need to understand and we need to dig in on our capacity. Third C is competency, the skill set needed for the task. If someone came in and said to all of us, hey, I'm going to give you 100 years of your salary in one lump sum, and I want you to go out and invest it, I know it's shocking to think about this, but we would not all be successful. 66% of small businesses fail in the first 10 years. I believe it's 8% of stock managers actually beat the market consistently, right? It's not just that everyone would be like, oh, yeah, I got it. No, we would need a skill. We would need a competency. We would need a skill set. And when we start talking about the work that you're made for, I don't want us to over-spiritualize what this is about. That we do need the Holy Spirit to lead us, but we also need to develop the skill set to allow us to do the job, the thing, the, the canvas that God has called us to do. 
And if you don't have the skill set, I want to encourage you to go and develop the skill set. And there's two commercials going around or a series of commercials going around right now that highlight the need for competency in the work that we do. And I want to show them to you. So if you'll turn your attention to the screen. Is this ride safe? Assembled it myself last night. I think I did an okay job. Just okay? What if something bad happens? We just moved in the next town. Just okay is not okay. Have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it, we'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes. Point made. I want to encourage you when you're considering your anointed fit to consider developing or do you need to develop a skill set to be able to do a particular assignment well. Fourth C that I see happening here in this text is chemistry. Think about the relational dynamic between the master and the servant that he would give him a hundred years worth of wages in one lump sum. Think about what the master had to feel about the servant. Think about their relationship for him to take that amount of money and give it into his hands. That's chemistry. There's a relational dynamic there that's happening, right? And think about for the servant, the relationship he needed with his master to take what he'd been given and be faithful to fulfill it. That's chemistry, and for him to find and fulfill his anointed fit, it wasn't just the work at hand, but it was the relationships involved that were so important. When the research organization Gallup studied what led to work satisfaction, they found 13 factors. Seven of the 13 were related to chemistry or related to the relationships in the workplace. That the thing about finding your anointed fit is not just the, the thing that you're doing, but it's the people that you're doing it with. And that's so important for us to consider. And we need to consider, do we need to grow in our chemistry, our ability to work with other people? Or we might be in a place that has a really toxic chemistry. And you need to realize that. That deeply affects us. The people that we work with, the environment that we work in, the relationships that we have are so important to finding and fulfilling our anointed fit. The last C that I want to give to you is character. When we look at the man's affirmation, when we look at the master's affirmation in Luke 19, he says to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Faithfulness is a character issue. So the reward for this gentleman is not because, he, man, he's just good at managing money and he did something. No, it was his work demonstrated his character. And it was his character that allowed him to fulfill the thing that he was called to do. It was his character. Character matters. Our character matters. We read uh, every day in the newspaper. In fact, this week's headlines were dominated by uh, leaders of different businesses with significant capacity Significant competency, but they've, they're, they're crashing their business because of lack of character. They're doing things on the side that got exposed, that exposed there's, there's little character there. And it's so easy for us to get going on something God's called us to, but if we don't tend to our character and develop our character, we won't fulfill our anointed fit. We'll get sidetracked. We'll, 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 cry. we'll get crushed under the pressure because we don't have the character to sustain it. So church... I want to encourage you to build character. Cultural historian Warren Sussman uh, researched the concept of character and traced its prevalence in literature, self-improvement manuals, guides from different eras, different generations. And what he found was the term character began being used in the 1600s and it peaked in the 1800s. In fact, he said that the 1800s embodied a culture of character. During the 1800s, character was a key word in the vocabulary of the British and Americans. People were spoken of as having strong character, weak character, good.
bad character, a great deal of character, or no character at all. Young people were admonished and encouraged to cultivate real character, high character, and noble character. And they were told that character was the most priceless thing they could ever attain. But get this. Starting at the beginning of the 20th century, so 1900s, he saw, Sussman saw a change, that there was a shift turning away from the ideal of character as being super important and focusing in or replacing character with the idea of personality, that personality was the main thing. And I love all the personality tests. I think it's cool to know if you're a golden retriever or an otter or a lion or you're a two or a seven or a one or you're an activator or you're this or that. It's awesome. I encourage you, explore your personality. It's great. But I don't want to let that obscure the deeper issue that we often can think, man, if I could just find a job that fits my personality, then I would have it made. This is not talking about the gentleman's personality. It's talking about his character that was going to be needed for him to find and fulfill his anointed fit. So I want to encourage you to come back next week uh, because we're going to take these five C's and talk about, well, how do we use those? So what I don't want you to do is to leave today, to go to work tomorrow and say, man, this place has no chemistry. My boss has no character. uh, And this person, definitely no competency. I'm out. Don't, don't, don't do that, right? We're, we're, we're getting exposed to some ideas. Next week, I want to give you a framework that I think if you'll use it, it will help you, help you find and fulfill your anointed fit. So just make plans to come back next week, and we'll talk about that. I want to invite you to stand right now. We're going to close today by taking communion together because I want to remind you again and again that this starts with Jesus It ends with Jesus. It's sustained by Jesus. And this isn't meant for you just to kind of go out and try and figure it out on your own. But just like the master called his servants to himself, Jesus is calling you to himself and that he wants to speak with you about these matters. He wants to speak with you as a father speaks with children about who you are and what he's called you to do. And so we're going to do that by taking communion together. The officiants can come forward. They'll have the elements, the bread and the cup. And when you come up, you can take of the bread, take of the cup, return to your seat, and just remember God's love for you. Remember his goodness shown for you on the cross and recommit yourself afresh to that today. If you're here today, though, and you're like, man, I, I don't know that I know Jesus. I don't know that I've made a decision to follow him every week. We have people in our, in our church worshiping with us or here at the service that are exploring their faith that, that, that may feel really far from God. And you're here because you're trying to figure some things out. And I want to give you an opportunity today to make a real step in your relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that God loves you very much. And he created you to have a relationship with him. He created you for love and peace and joy and fulfillment and purpose. And he created you for meaningful relationships with others. God's that good. But mankind, we turned from God. We said, we don't want you to be our king. We don't want you to be our creator. We want to do life on our own terms. Not just a few people have said that. We've all said that. We've told God, we'll just kind of take it from here. And with us at the helm, with us at the ship, trying to be our own kings, our own creators, it just leads to brokenness. That's what the Bible calls sin. That's why the headlines and the hearts of our whole world is filled with pain and with brokenness. We know we need healing. But God loved us so much that he didn't just leave us to ourselves to try and figure it out. He didn't say, well, you know, just go try and do the best that you can at a job, and that's how you'll get there. Or go find your soulmate, that's how you'll get there. Or go be the most beautiful person ever, that's how you get there. No, no, no. He knew none of those ways would actually lead us out of brokenness. But he came in Jesus. Jesus came for you. And he lived a perfect life. He was without sin. And he loved God, and he loved people, and he brought healing everywhere he went. And he was taken to the cross and died a sacrificial death on the cross so that your sin and your brokenness could be washed away and that you could experience the new life that God desires to give you. The way we begin that journey is by repentance. It's saying, I don't want to be the king 
or creator of my own life anymore. I don't want to be the one in the driver's seat just calling all the shots. That is not working out for me. That's repentance. And it's a commitment to follow Jesus. That's why we talk about being disciples so often. We want to follow him. He leads us into the life that God desires for us. So I want to encourage you today, if you've never made Jesus Lord, if you've never said, man, I'm going to repent from going my own way and I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Such a significant decision. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I've, I've been in church or I've been around the church, but I've just been really far from God and I'm trying to make my way back. I want to encourage you, whether for the first time or a recommitment, for you to say yes to Jesus today. So if I get everyone to bow their heads for a moment, close your eyes. And if that's you, if you're here today and you know you need Jesus, each and every week just about we have people saying, man, I need Jesus. I need to follow him. I want to encourage you in just a moment to raise your hand. And if you're trying to make your way back to God, I want you to know that your father, your heavenly father is running down the road wanting to bring you in. And so if you'll just raise your hand in just a moment, I'm going to pray a short prayer. We're not going to call you up on stage, not put your name on a billboard, but just give an opportunity for you to take a step by raising your hand and that we could pray together. So if that's you, if you'll just throw your hand up in the air. Again, every eye closed, every head bowed. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. All right, if you would join with me, if your hands were raised or if you're just a part of the church, this is a great prayer to pray every week. Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the new life that you bring. I repent from being my own king today. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. That's such a significant decision. Uh, the worship team is going to lead us, and you can come forward and take communion as you're ready. Take care. 